Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Kelly Green Hour. And as you can hear in the tone of my voice, the sound of my voice, we are not happy. The Philadelphia Eagles are 0-2 as they head into a game this week three against the 0-2 Cincinnati Bengals. But before we get to that, we obviously want to speak on week two, the game against the Los Angeles Rams. I'm your host, LG Harrell, and joining me as always is my co-host, Connor. Connor. It's been a rough couple of weeks uh, in the uh, for the start of the NFL season when it comes to our favorite team, the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, definitely. It's uh, it has has been exactly fun football to watch or like good football like we're used to, and that that's frustrating. I mean, I know that we've kind of you know we we've seemingly had these issues, these underlying issues, and we knew that eventually some of these issues would come to a head and. I think they're starting to come to a head and and the it's like just the idea of, you know, what's coming at the end of the year with the salary cap. And then you knew that there were holes in our game and you're seeing it all. The potential identity crisis between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. There's so many storylines that that came into this season as worrisome and are rearing their ugly head now. Yeah, they really are. And I think this is the most critical and he tried to tone it back throughout the week, but that Doug Peterson has been of Carson Wentz. Um, you know, for instance, the interception throw when the Eagles were driving and and what would I believe that would have given them the lead if they would have scored the touchdown, um, if, if I'm thinking at the right point in the game. But it wasn't a touchdown. He threw an interception trying to look for J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in double coverage. You're talking about a receiver who can't get open. Now he's being double covered. I don't know why you would throw the ball in that spot to that receiver. Um, but like when you look at the totality of the game, every, we like to talk about the good, the bad and the ugly. There was only one. I mean, I guess two goods. Miles Sanders looked really good after the fumble, after the fumble, if he didn't fumble, who knows what would, you know, cause the Eagles were in, were moving the football. Um, and when he fumbled, he gave the Rams the ball at really, a really good field position. Um, but, that and the offensive line, after getting abused week one against Washington, they gave up zero sacks. I think one pressure the entire game. Like it, it was crazy how good and how how much of a difference Lane Johnson makes when, with him back to that offensive line. They looked really good against Aaron Donald. Was held like he did nothing that game. And that the one thing that the Eagles seem to always do well is when you go up against Aaron Donald, he has very little effect on the game. Unfortunately for the Eagles, it, especially offensively, it just it didn't help any other parts of the game. Um, you know, Carson Wentz struggled. This is his first game without a touchdown, and I can't remember how long, besides not counting the Seattle playoff game because he got hurt in, on the first drive or the second drive, something like that. But, like, that offensive line, if we can get that offensive line from here on out, I know Isaac Sayamalu's out there moving Nate Herbig to left guard and letting Matt Pryor play right guard because he's more comfortable. If we can get this offensive line to continue to play that well for the rest of the season, I can see our offense, especially the running game, finally picking up steam and moving the ball. We just need the other you know, aspects of the game, the defensive side of the ball, special teams. We need everything to come together, and maybe they can put, a, put together a 60-minute game. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, you, you pointed out at the beginning of the week that Carson Wentz and, and Doug Peterson have had. I mean, I don't 
ESPN, First Take, Colin Coward, everybody has been having a field day with Carson Wentz. Now, Colin Coward was a little childish, but I don't know if you saw that where he was making fun of Wentz playing his hat backwards. You should check it out. It's it's pretty embarrassing television, honestly, radio television. Um, and then everybody questioning Carson Wentz and is he the franchise quarterback and Doug Peterson questioning, calling him out. Uh, we saw Bruce Arians call Tom Brady out and everyone was like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did that. And now everyone forgets about it. But I think we're going to hear about this calling out of Carson Wentz for weeks and weeks to come because it's Philadelphia and the media loves to pick at that. Um, yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, but I mean, that. so it's been a really rough week, and I wrote about it for my Sports Talk Philly wrap-up article, uh, post-game wrap-up article last week, that I think we're entering into a severe identity crisis between Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson, and it's literally between just those two people, because you look at the game, when Nick Foles, I'm going to just bring him up briefly, when Nick Foles was playing, you very rarely saw him audible. He always ran the plays that Doug Peterson called, and it and he built that offense so perfectly around Nick Foles, and that's why he worked out so well on that Super Bowl run and the next year when he made that run to the playoffs for us. Carson Wentz goes to that line and audibles and kill, kill kills almost everything. Mm-hmm. And I get that that could mean that he sees something in the defense, but you don't see something in the defense every time you go to the line. And it's almost every time. And that's why I think we're starting to see that identity crisis with Carson Wentz and Doug Peterson. Wentz doesn't trust Peterson. Clearly, Peterson doesn't trust Wentz. Peterson can't build a proper playbook for Carson Wentz. And Carson Wentz wants to run the plays that he knows he's comfortable with and that he's good at. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the coming weeks after the criticism that they face this week for sure. But you definitely it's, nailed um, you definitely nailed the good. I'll, I'll say that. Miles Sanders and the offensive line was all that was good. And seeing Deshaun Jackson get playing time and emerge a bit in the second half was nice. Yeah, and it, it doesn't make sense because in 2000, and I hate going back to the, the Super Bowl year, but when in Carson's 13 games, the offense was a well-oiled machine. And that was run by Carson, led by Doug. Obviously, Frank Reich and DeFilippo were here, so who knows if that still is having an impact of them being gone. But the fact that these guys just can't get it together is mind-boggling. And, and it, it just doesn't make sense to me because we know Carson Wentz is a talent. Has he regressed? Probably. But we, it, it, which end of the coaching is it? Is it because of you know DeFilippo and, and Reich not being here and you know, putting that pressure on him? Or does Carson just think he's too good for the coaching that he's getting now? And as a Carson Wentz fan, and and somebody I believe, you know, that the Eagles made the right choice of paying Wentz and not bringing back Foles, like, it's bothersome that we don't see the same production that we saw, you know, three years ago. And it should still be there, and I don't know why it's not. Yeah, I mean, we we just those three years ago. I mean, we had a MVP caliber quarterback. He was going to be the MVP if it wasn't for him going down. And there was even some people with votes for the MVP that said that they heavily considered still voting for Wentz that year. The fact that there, that regression is there, I don't think comes solely from Carson Wentz, but also comes from issues, other issues, deeper issues. Maybe the fact we'll be noticed in the last couple of years the fact of a, the, the wide receiving core the weapons that he had at his disposal. Um, 
finally we have Miles Sanders in the run game where we had okay running game, and the offensive line has only gotten stronger and only gotten better. And now this year it's by by on paper regressed, but you still have some of the key guys like Elaine Johnson and a Jason Peters and a Jason Kelsey. Um, so I'd, I mean, there's a lot that you can look at as far as Carson Wentz's regression and. And you can look at it and be like, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's Carson Wentz, maybe it's the the offense in general. But it's so tough to tell because I feel like we're sitting there and people are bashing Carson Wentz, and Carson Wentz has one of the best contracts. He has an out in a couple years. I think after 2022, we have an out that saves us a ton of money. Should the regression continue? Um, and you look at it, and it's it's like this is the perfect scenario where Wentz would go somewhere else and would heavily succeed. Oh, I almost, he will go somewhere else and heavily succeed. I Russell Douglas and Ronald Darby who are doing really well in their new homes right now. Maybe not, maybe because they're getting the roles that they should have had in Philadelphia, but we constantly tried to force them into CB one roles or roles that they just weren't meant to be in. But this just has all the makings of uh if we let Wentz go, we're going to regret it and people are going to then realize what we had in Carson Wentz and that maybe there was some other things there. But I think a lot of people are starting to notice Doug Peterson now and the faults in his game. And I think even more so after last week's news broke that they, some NFL executives believe he's stressed out and feel like he's past his time in Philadelphia. I think it really reared its ugly head in that Rams game and the week and the week leading and this past week leading into the Bengals game. Yeah, and it's really weird. He's been here for five years now because this is Wentz's fifth year too, I think. So I don't know what's going on. I don't. I honestly think that he's not, he's not given the the respect, and I I don't like to use the word respect, so I'll put it in quotes from the front office. Like he is a Super Bowl winning head coach. Now, did they catch? Uh, catch, you know, lightning in a bottle, probably, because Nick Foles went on an ungodly run. But I don't know how, like, they, they need to give him the pieces. And so, like, you knew, we know that the linebacker situ- what the linebacker situation is, but they don't go out and get those pieces. Now, is that because Jim Schwartz is like, I don't need linebackers? Obviously he does, because one of the bads, Nate Gary got abused last week by Tyler Higby. And of course, last week I gave a tiny schmid, a little bit of, of, of praise to Gary. And then he goes out and has a God awful performance. Um, Avante Maddox, we, we know Darius Slay has been really good for the Eagles so far. Now, obviously it hasn't come in wins or turnovers, but he is pretty much locking down number one receivers over the first two weeks. But Avante Maddox got abused by the receivers that, that he was, he was covering. Like he had a bad day. Nikel uh, Roby Coleman, we talked about the matchup with him and Cooper Cup last week. Well, Cooper Cup kind of abused him too. Like, what what has Roby Coleman done for this defense so far? Nothing. Why don't they try um, Trayvon LeBlanc back there? Somebody dropped a stat line on Twitter I saw and and said, like, maybe we should consider giving Trayvon LeBlanc the ring to the the nickel slot position again for a couple weeks. Because Nickel Roby Coleman is not the Nickel Roby Coleman that we brought in or expected when we brought in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's it's just like we have depth at certain positions, and and they don't allow them to play. Like I haven't seen Kevon Wallace on on the defensive side of the ball yet. I mean, they had that good special teams play where 
I think it was TJ Edwards forced the fumble in Cooper Cup and Kamon Wallace picked it up. But, like, I know we're missing Will Parks and he could be back in, in maybe two weeks. But I would much rather see Kavon Wallace out there than Marcus Epps. What is Marcus Epps doing out on the field? Like, every time he's on the field, I feel like something bad happens. It's, it, it's just mind-boggling when you see the, the personnel that's put on the field and then when they're playing or when, and they're not making plays and we sit there and, like, we put all the blame on Jim Schwartz and obviously he deserves some because he's the defensive coordinator. But, like, the front office hasn't helped them with some of the personnel. They put all this money at the defensive tackle position and at defensive end, we're ba- like we're bare. We can't get we barely get pressure on the quarterback from the defensive ends. Our linebackers, as I mentioned before, are very very weak. Um, you know, besides Slay, our corners are questionable at best. Like it's just mind boggling and worrisome. And we're only in week three, and we have all these problems now. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on the defensive tackles and the defensive ends because. Um, I mean, this was a really auspicious uh, Russian attack. Like, we, nobody knew what was going to be of this Russian attack. They had three viable options. Cam Akers went down early in the game. So then Daryl Henderson took over, and Malcolm Brown still had a way in the game. And they, they used Robert Woods quite a bit, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, as well as Russian weapons. But they ended up going off for 191 yards on 39 carries and had two touchdowns. That is not the same front four that we've been accustomed to that has completely shut down run offenses and, and been like tops in the league for run defense. So that was re- that's really worrisome to see because that's that that's been our bread and butter, the fact that the tackles make it impossible for teams to get the Russian attack going. And now one of the weirdest Russian attacks is tops in the league in two partially due to us and what we allowed them to do against us in putting up over 190 yards on the ground. Um, so that that was definitely really frustrating. And Malik Jackson's done an incredible job, which is a positive sign. But Javon Hargrave being hurt and then Fletcher Cox with uh, his injury, his mm-hmm. injury that, that troubled him throughout the Rams game and now made it makes him a true game time decision this Sunday is even more worrisome. Yeah, and, and, and uh, oh, you go before, ahead. Yeah, before you you uh, go to your next point, <clears throat> we're talking about a Rams team. You know, the first couple of years under Sean McVay, they've been primarily a passing team, and that was even with Todd Gurley there. But like against Dallas and against us, they've run the ball for close to eighty times in two games, and th- I feel like <clears throat> you know they've changed their um, you know offensive approach. Now they don't have that Todd, the Todd Gurley type, but. They got uh, three different backs who are do like different things and they can rely on. They know that Jared Goff isn't a, a you know, we're going to put him back five step, drop him and throw the ball over the field. He's not really that type of quarterback, you know, anymore. But if you get the running game going and you're able to throw play action, which they did a lot, they used the Rams used a lot of motion, a lot of play action against the Eagles. And it worked because the defense was just woefully unprepared, it seemed like. Even though Ronnie McLeod this week was like, oh, we knew what they were going to do. Everything they did, we weren't surprised. Well, they looked surprised. If you watched the game and then you watched, you know, any film afterwards, the Eagles were out of position 90% of the time that the, the Rams went in the motion. And it just looked like the Eagles had never seen or didn't even watch tape 
of the Rams or seen any offense like that. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the secondary on, I don't think there was one of the three Higby touchdowns where I didn't see a broken down coverage. And it wasn't necessarily just Nate Geary. It's also the safety who's supposed to help pick up if, you know, if that tight end gets by him. And there was never anyone in sight. It felt like Higby was just, he beat Nate Geary and then that was it. There was nothing else. Um, beyond that so that was really frustrating to watch as well because for a team that says they knew what was coming and they saw what was coming they definitely did not they were not set up that way at all to succeed and um, you asked me about a couple of players last week that to keep your eye on some like under the radar players Mm -hmm. and I, I had alluded to Van Jefferson and Josh Reynolds both of them well Josh Reynolds two for 33 and then Van Jefferson went four for 45 but that slot area was having just a day with us cooper cup went off for five and 81 higby 554 and three tds and then van jefferson was 445 and those three are all the primary slot guys um so i mean at that point i mean they were all over us all game why not at the start of the second half move to Craven LeBlanc and see what happens. Clearly, Nickel Roby Coleman, who we thought had an advantage over Cooper Cup because they were practicing mates last year and they lined up across from each other every practice for mm-hmm. 17 weeks, that we might have an advantage there. But it's clear that we didn't have the advantage there. And it wasn't going to change in the second half to leave them out there and hope that we got that advantage. So definitely uh, worth noting how bad the slot was and worth noting the situation at the linebacker position and the nickel corner position as well, because I'll be interested to see what Jim Schwartz does moving forward. Because as we know, some of our draft picked linebackers haven't played as much as some who were on the team last year. Davion so, Taylor, yeah. Yeah, a guy like Davion Taylor it would be kind of nice to see what we got in him and get him out there because it can't hurt any more than how bad we've been hurt by some of them. I, I agree with you. And, and my fear is like, so we get the Cincinnati Bengals this week. They're winless right now. Um, they have a rookie rookie um, quarterback, uh, second-year head coach, a team that doesn't have many offensive weapons. They have A.J. Green, uh, Joe Mixon, uh, Joe Burrow, and kind of that's it. They're, you know, they're missing a couple offensive linemen. And then on defense, they're going to be missing Geno Atkins and, like, they're, Mike Daniel. They're, they're missing a bunch of safety, Sean Williams. And my fear is that the Eagles potentially, and obviously we're going to do our predictions later, but, like, the Eagles could come out and look like the 2017 Eagles or look like the Eagles of the last five weeks last year. And then they're going to think all, all is right in the world, but, but it's not because then you have like, so you, are, you beat Cincinnati and then you go to, to San Francisco on a Sunday night and then you get to go up against, you know, a, a real team, quote unquote. And I'm not saying Cincinnati's not a real team, but they're not the upper echelon team. We're talking about going up against the, the, the reigning NFC champions and then they'll be in the same predicament. So the, there needs to be changes. We've, we've talked about this time and time again, knowing what the situation is um, with, with next year. But, like, they need to find out what they have with some of these young guys. And obviously it's early in the season. You want to see what – but we know J.J. Ortega-Whiteside cannot play. He is bad. Give John Hightower a chance. Greg Ward really hasn't seen the field. Um they haven't. They've used a lot of two tight end sets, but the tight ends really weren't targeted all that much last week. It seemed like um, they need to find a way to. to as I mentioned, and I'm going to harp on this. What do you have in some of these young offensive players? Because next year you could. We you talk about this a lot. 
Deshaun and Alshon could most likely be gone, both of them. So what are you going to have? We know what we have in Jalen Rager, I think, but he's out now for three weeks. Uh, Quez Watkins is uh, still on IR, could come back after this week. Who knows if he will, depending on the severity of, of his. So I just want to know, like, what do we have with the players that we took? We kept nine of the ten draft picks on the active roster. What do we have with them? We need to find out. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, like a guy like Derek Barnett, who carries a $10.5 million price tag next year. Cutting. If 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 Josh what is do the superior guy, do we not play Josh Sweat and cut our ties? I know it hurts because because we just went through cutting a second, a third, and a fourth round pick this year, and it hurts. Mm-hmm. But we need to make sure that we are paying the right people. And if if we can save money with a guy like Josh Sweat who's still on a rookie contract, then you do it. Um, but obviously we need to have our eyes open to those things next year. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of touched on it there about JJ Ortega White. So clearly maybe, maybe he can't play, even though, even though, as we saw Doug Peterson saying, we're going to lean I on him, but I how often have we that. heard that? I can't Ex- believe he said that. Exactly. How often have we heard, oh, we got to lean on him. Oh, we got to make, we got to make some happen with him. Oh, we're going to have to target him more. And then he sees a couple of targets, and then they say, well, he was at a place. He didn't look good. He didn't look right. How, how many more times do we have to see that before we just cut our ties with him as well? Because since he's a higher-round pick, he carries a bit more of a price tag as well. Um, like we're, like Deontay Bar- Barnett's up this week. I mean, I'd much rather see him out there. He had that one catch against the Giants for 44 yards or something like that last year. But, like, yeah, I get it. He, he's, a, he's raw. He, we, we don't really know what we have in him. But I'd rather see him because I think he has more potential than Jay Jaw has. And this is like a huge year to do this because you have the expanded practice mm-hmm. squads. You have all this. You can protect these people. You can keep them around. I think it's vitally important to take advantage of the fact that you have these six extra rostered players every single week, that you can see what you got in them. And some of those guys could end up being the place takers of some of these people who some of these guys who are just not performing who care or who carry really team unfriendly contracts in the next season. But I mean, overall, like, I mean, beyond Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders, it, it's scary. I mean, it was nice to see Deshaun Jackson emerge and be targeted and be given the opportunity. And I think that he's going to continue to be a major player for Carson Wentz. Yeah, I hope with- they don't keep him on a snap count, though. Like, just unleash him. If he gets hurt, he gets hurt. I get it. It sucks. But they can't afford to protect Deshaun so he's healthy at the end of the season. I mean, yeah, at this point, you're protecting a guy for the end of the season because you want him to be healthy. If we make a playoff run, we're 0-2. So the reality check is we're not on pace for a playoff run. We're not on pace to do much of anything. So unleash everybody you got unless their injuries are that severe. But, like, you look at Deshaun Jackson's line last week, nine targets, six receptions, 64 yards. Mm -hmm. Beyond our tight ends, not many people catch the ball like Deshaun Jackson with that type of consistency and with that type of yardage. So you have to take advantage of that. And I do think, I do agree, Greg Ward, I think, could be one of those guys, like Deshaun Jackson, who can play out of the slot and take advantage of Ertz, Sanders, and Goddard and kind of slide under the radar of the Cincinnati Bengals defense, which isn't even that good in the first place and have a really big game. So, I mean, I think it's important that, that we don't fall for the coach speak of this JJ Ortega Whiteside and we have to lean on him and all this. I'm, I'm just not falling for that again. Yeah, I agree with you. And <clears throat> excuse me, they, they, they I don't know. It's, it's, 
we need to see something turn around. Fortunately for the Eagles, they're in the NFC East, and they're only a game out of first after two weeks because the rest of the division is bad, and Dallas got lucky last week. I'm still – I can't believe I saw what I saw in that Atlanta-Dallas game. That's Atlanta, man. That is oh Atlanta. Oh, my God, Atlanta. And I said at halftime, before halftime of that game, I put it on Facebook. I might even put it on Twitter. I said I don't – or I put it on Twitter. I don't trust Atlanta – in the second half and it just kept going downhill. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like four people around that football, but that's another story. All right. I think, so I want to move to the play of the game. I'm getting tired of talking about the Rams kicking our butts, but I think the play of the game was Carson's interception because if Carson doesn't throw that interception and they score a touchdown there, the Eagles have a lead and then, and things are totally different. It could be totally different going forward, but that turnover was big. The Rams took the ball down the field, put, put points on the board and the Eagles just weren't the same afterwards. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree for, for me. Um, the, the big put the play that really turned everything, I think was that, uh, was the, uh, uh, what's his face is that Tyler Higby's third touchdown or second touchdown. The one that happened in the second quarter that put them up 21 to three. I think that was that was the one where I was like, I don't think we're coming back from this. And we never got within any more than the five points at the end of the second quarter that got us to 21 16. Um, so that would that was uh, that was that's my big thing, because there was no turning back from that, despite the little run that we went on at the end of the second quarter and what looked like a very, very nice start to the third quarter where we were mate marching down the field and then the pick happened. But um yeah, I think that that one for me was the big turning point. You had the Robert Woods touchdown, Tyler Higby's first touchdown, and then that second touchdown, and it was just like they were they're all big drives. There was an eight eight play eighty yard drive, ten play seventy five, five play forty one yard. They did big drives, they did short drives, and they just and they were in such quick succession. None of their drives lasted over five minutes that led to scores. Yeah, and it's just Again, that the defense has to find ways. Jim Schwartz took all the blame, which, you know, he didn't want to throw any of his players under the bus. But a lot of guys deserve to be thrown under the bus. I, I commend our coaching staff for not throwing anybody under the bus, but they definitely deserved it. All right, so let's move to the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, on to Cincinnati, as uh, Bill Belichick said a couple years back, which fueled a uh, New England Super Bowl run, I'm pretty sure. But – um. The Bengals, Zach Taylor, Press Taylor's brother. So you got uh, quarterback coach for the Eagles, Press Taylor, against head coach for the Bengals, uh, Zach Taylor. You mentioned it. This Bengals defense isn't good. They gave up over 30 points to the Cleveland Browns last week. They they are kind of get a mini-ish bye. They get a couple extra days because uh, they played on Thursday night last week. But they got, they have to come to Philly. Uh, Joe Burrow, He I am not – I was, wasn't a Joe Burrow fan in LSU. Um, I am uh, being an Alabama fan. It's hard to root for him, but um, he had an unworldly year his last year at LSU um, where he won the Heisman trophy and the national championship. He has AJ green. He has Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd. They have, you know, a couple weapons on that, on that offense that could pose problems for the Eagles. The Eagles are going to have to score points. And you mentioned it. Their defense isn't good. Um, are they going to be able to score points is the question. They have Carlos Dunlap at defensive end. You mentioned Geno Atkins is out. You know, what are your expectations going into this game for the Eagles offense against the Bengals defense? 
Um, low. <laughs> I, honestly, despite the look of this defense, I don't have high expectations for, for our offense because Jalen Reger, this could have been a big game for Jalen mm-hmm. Reger, I think. But I think we're going to have to really see what we have in Greg Ward. Why did you keep Greg Ward on the roster? J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, like they said, but like make sure it's smart. So often I see the J.J. Ortega-Whiteside passes, and it feels like Carson Wentz is just forcing it because it's like, well, he looks like the most open guy on the field, so he just rips a ball in at him. But it doesn't necessarily look like you know he's he's ready or he's there. Um, we're gonna have to see what we have in in like in maybe even a Deontay Burnett if they end up mm-hmm. if he ends up playing that night that day. Like it's we're so thin at wide receiver now that I'm really interested to see what actually happens. But I, I think this could be a big one to see what we got in Hightower and Ward. Um, but obviously, you know, this has all the makings of a big Miles Sanders, Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard mm-hmm. day. But, I mean, what week doesn't have that feeling at this point? Yeah, I remember coming into the year, a lot of people thought that the Eagles were going to be able to put up points. They're average. They're defensively giving up 32 points a game. That's, and I know it's only two weeks. And offensively, you know, the Eagles are scoring 18 points a game. Like, it's really... So coming into the baseball season, a lot of people thought the Phillies were going to rake. And for most of the season, they did. But there have been parts where they, where they, would, they couldn't score. There, there were stretches where they couldn't score runs. It's the early week. They played Washington, who we knew had a good front seven. But their secondary isn't all that good. They still couldn't put up points after they put up those 17 early on. The Rams defense, yes, they have Jalen Ramsey. We knew he was going to find a way or be put on somebody and take somebody away. Um but they, they still they couldn't get the tight ends involved in the game to put points on the board. You know, this is a, a get-healthy week, I think, for the Eagles' offense. I just, like you you mentioned, there's apprehension there. I don't know if they can do it. I don't. They're not consistent enough. Doug Peterson's play calling is not good. Carson Wentz hasn't really, hasn't played well the first, you know, the, to start this season. Um, you're right. This is going to be a Miles Sanders game. He he had 95 yards last last week. On the ground, um, had 131 total because uh, he had 36 through, uh, through the air. I expect him to have 100, over 150 yards of total offense. It's going to be a Miles Sanders game. And if he doesn't turn the football over, he's going to score multiple touchdowns. And it's, it's gonna, the game plan should be heavily on him to win the game for the Eagles. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I can. I agree to that point. Um, but, I mean, the Cincinnati Bengals, I mean, if you go shot for shot with them, their offense isn't so bad to the point that I don't think that they could go shot for shot. That's why we need the defense to definitely step up. Mm-hmm. This is a Bengals team that put up 30 points on the uh, on the the Cleveland Browns, who the off the often overhyped Cleveland Browns. Mm-hmm. But to the same point, if you're putting up 30 points on a team like that, and then the first week they only put up 13, that was Joe Burrow's first week. It was against a pretty stingy LA Chargers defense. I mean, it becomes extremely interesting to see what the Bengals are going to do. But if you're going shot for shot, do I trust Carson Wentz to be able to get those final three to seven points over Joe Burrow? Honestly, I don't know. I don't know if I could honestly say that I trust that. So I think this is as much as it's a big game to see what the offense can do and what he's got in some of his weapons that maybe he hasn't gotten the opportunity to use as much. This is a big game for the defense to step up and say, all right, we're not the pushovers you saw in week two. We are actually the decent 
defensive team from week one that came out as the leading defensive team in the NFL, only giving up like 180 yards of total offense to the Washington football team. So we need to get back to that because there's no reason that a team like the Bengals get over 200 yards on you, despite some of the weapons like A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and Joe Mixon that they have. I, I still see no reason why we give up over 200, 250 yards of offense to these guys. Yeah, hopefully. But, you know, I think that the Bengals are going to ride Joe Mixon, especially after what the Rams did. But the, that Bengals offensive line is not very good. So the Eagles need to get pressure on Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow can move around in the pocket. He can make plays with his legs. But you have to sack the quarterback, force him to, to throw the ball sooner than he wants to, maybe make a mistake, get a turnover. The Eagles have it. They got one turnover in two games, and that was from a Josh Sweat strip sack of Dwayne Haskins. You know, the, the secondary just can't get their hands on the football. They need to come away with turnovers. Help the offense out, offense that out that way. Give them a short field instead of, you know, always making, always um, the, the offense always going 80, 80 plus yards. Give them a short field. Give them, let them start the a possession in Bengals territory so that they don't have to have a, a 10 play 80 yard drive that takes up eight and a half minutes. When you know, it'd be nice to have a nice four play, 45 yard drive in like three minutes i want i want that every once in a while it's yeah no definitely <laughs> i mean we we've i mean we've talked about Darius slay and he's he's you know he's like the jalen ramsey he shuts down one huh? side of the field so we don't have to worry about that side of the field but when throwing in that direction i would love to see him pick a ball off uh-huh. i know he's making plays i know he's keeping that one half of the one corner of the field on lock for us but i'd love to see some of these some of these plays be made or rodney mcleod see a play come in on a play jalen mills we've heard about mcleod and mills praised to the end of time come in on a play make a play read the quarterback's eyes do something like we're tired of seeing we're, we're tired of starting out inside our own 20 over and over and over or uh-huh. at our 25 over and over and over because you know that the offense can't get 75 plus yards every single time we need a better setup and that comes from we saw the safety position maybe that means Kevon Wallace has to get in there if they if Jalen Mills isn't making plays if Rodney McLeod isn't making plays that's not to say they're not doing well because they are doing well they are good players they're viable options. I haven't loved Mills at safety. I don't think that there's no any reason to believe Kevon Wallace shouldn't play a bit over Mills. But at the end of the day, we need to start seeing plays made. And I feel like a guy like Kevon Wallace can make those plays. I feel like a guy like Davian Taylor or, or Alex Singleton can make those plays at linebacker. Why keep Nate Geary out for like 90% of defensive snaps? Why keep He's Duke Riley 100%. out there? Yeah, he plays 100% because he's got the mic in his ear. So he basically plays everything. Um, And like... Like you said, the ends too, the ends and the tackles. I wanted. I know Fletcher Cox may not be healthy, but to see Javon Hargrave get a sack or Malik Jackson to get a sack or two instead of just pressures would be would make my day. I agree. We need to see actual impact plays. I get how important the stat, like a QB pressure or a tackle for a loss, is, and how important a tackle for a loss is. But when you give up, when it's like third and 12 and you give up the first down anyways what difference did that tackle for a loss really make for your team because that was another thing that killed us in LA or against LA third downs 
we could not stop them at all. Both teams actually were seven for 12 on third downs, the Eagles and the Rams. Mm-hmm. And But it felt like the Rams got so many more because every second and long, they got it. Every third and long, they got the it. Sean McVay is way more creative than Doug Peterson when it comes to offensive um, personnel and offensive play design. And when you know, know, and it's the same with Schwartz. When you know that Jim Schwartz is just going to put his guys five yards back, mm-hmm. back up to the sticks and try and hold the sticks, you know they're not holding those sticks. They haven't been able to hold the sticks since Jim Schwartz came and came to this team um, as the defensive coordinator. So what makes you think that you're going to start stopping them now? I 100% agree with you on that. All right, let's move to the the key matchups, and I'm going to start on. Um, the Eagles defensive side of the ball. Looking at this offensive line for the Cincinnati Bengals, they have last year's number one pick, Jonah Williams, who missed all of his rookie year, but he, he's he's back this year. They have Michael Jordan at left guard, Trey Hopkins at center, Fred Johnson at right guard, and Bobby Hart, who I think used to be an Eagle, at right tackle. If the Eagles, <clears throat> even without Fletcher Cox, if the Eagles don't you know, get pressure on Joe Burrow, that's a big issue. But this offensive line, the Eagles – especially Hargrave, you know, his second game. So he should be, he might not be up, you know, physically or, you know, conditioning wise, he may not be fully up there, but he should still be able to wreck some havoc. And Malik Jackson has been the Eagles best defensive lineman so far this year. So he should, he should have a big game. We need Brandon Graham to step up, Joshua, Derek Barnett, even though I have no faith in him. We need this Eagles front four to wreck havoc so that, you know, you don't have to blitz all the time because we mentioned the weapons for Cincinnati. Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, and didn't even mention T. Higgins, the rookie wide receiver. So Higgins and Boyd are going to be up against, excuse me, up against um, Avante Maddox and Nikel Roby Coleman because I think I think Darius Slay will be on A.J. Green. Like, if, if Higgins and Boyd are continually getting open, we need to see a change. I've said it time and time again. I don't think Avante Maddox is an outside corner. Um, and I thought having Darius Slade would help him, but it really hasn't. He didn't have a good game last week. And we talked about it earlier, how um, um, Craven LeBlanc deserves some some snaps in the slot. He's a really good slot, slot corner. Cole, Coleman, Roby Coleman hasn't had a good year early on. If, if Boyd and Higgins are making plays down the field and the Eagles aren't able to stop him, adjustments need to be made and it better be made yeah definitely um i couldn't agree more with the defensive line the defensive line definitely has to take advantage of that offensive line so i won't go any further on that one um but i will go on one name that i'm really intrigued to see and that's drew sample tight end for the cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> well I, I i love him for a reason joe burrow has targeted his tight ends on average third most in the league just nice. behind just behind the Eagles. Uh, so he loves his tight end. C.J. Uzumwa is down for the year with his uh, torn Achilles or ACL. Can't remember what he tore there. Um, but Drew Sample is stepping in. Drew Sample has averaged five targets a game. Um, and C.J. Uzumwa has averaged five and a half. So you're looking at a tight end who could very likely be looking at eight to ten targets. And against those linebackers, I wouldn't be surprised. No mm-hmm. wonder I pick tight ends week in and week out. Look at <laughs> until our linebackers prove otherwise. Why shouldn't I continue to pick Agreed. the tight end matchup? Um, and then also, I guess, for me would be in the slot uh, on the depth chart, they have uh, Tyler Boyd listed on the outside and T. Higgins in the slot. But I wouldn't be surprised if they move Tyler Boyd back to where he mm-hmm. wreaks havoc in the slot um, and puts uh, 
put Tyler Boyd back at the slot to take advantage of a weakened slot uh, if Nickel Roby Coleman is there again. And if they watched the tape from the Rams game and saw what Van Jefferson and Cooper Cup did to us, wouldn't be surprised to see Tyler Boyd get moved to that slot to really take advantage again. As far as some Eagles key matchups, you you definitely hit on the uh, the defensive line. I'm going to hit on the wide receivers because you can't say enough about how vitally important it is. I love John Hightower. This is huge opportunity for John Hightower. His week one performance it left a little bit left me a little bit discouraged, but there was one that one ball that was picked off and there was two or three that were thrown into a really tight window for a rookie to have to go after with no preseason. Um, so that, that is partially on Carson Wentz, partially on John Hightower to come back to the ball and get to the ball. So hopefully he learned from week one because he was almost non-existent in week two. Mm -hmm. Um, so obviously he's going to get the opportunity with a super light receiving room that consists of essentially Greg Ward, Deshaun Jackson, John Hightower, and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. And Deontay Burnett is going to be up this week. And Deontay Burnett. Yeah, exactly. So, um... Yeah, I, I'll be interested to see what happens with Hightower and Greg Ward because I think they're going to have to start to become more of a part of the game. I know that the, the coach talk and the hype for J.J., I'm sorry, but I would rather see John Hightower get the ball or Greg Ward because Greg Ward had the more most sure hands last year for the Philadelphia Eagles. And you, were, and you were a big advocate of J.J. last year, so you know, you're know you you're seeing the light when it comes to how bad of a player he really it's is. It's discouraging because I do still think there's something there. I do think he can be Alshon Jeffrey-like, but I don't think they've done enough. I think they the way where the way, they drafted him, they felt he wasn't a developmental talent. They didn't give him the proper development, and now he looks really bad on a football Yeah, game. the way you feel about J. Jaw is how I feel about Sidney Jones. I still think that there's talent there, too. And hopefully that whoever, you know, Jaguars, hopefully they get the most out of him. If, if they put them on the field, but like we both have those players who the Eagles drafted and we're like, we see the potential. Can they get it out of them? And so far, neither have been able to get it out of you. They haven't been able to get it out of either of those guys. Definitely. No, I, I completely agree. And it, it's really a shame, but there's a lot of really interesting matchups because this is like the, the kind of like win or go home for the Eagles. Like you could have Philadelphia rioting in the streets if we oh don't win against the Bengals. So this is like a really a win or go home or a win or how he open your eyes changes yeah. have to happen today. One, so one of the players that the on the defensive side of the ball, he's not a starter, he's a backup, but a really good special team player that the Bengals have, who I really wanted the Eagles to draft was Akeem Davis Gaither. He's like, I was yes. watching that. Yes. Uh, what was that? I said yes, yeah. yes. I love. He was my favorite <laughs> linebacker. I wanted us to take him, and I think it maybe if it, if he came around the right pick, we would have had him. Yeah, and so watching that that Thursday night game against Cleveland, he like he was on the special teams. He got some defensive snaps, but he's always, he's flying around around the football. A player that the Eagles could really use at the linebacker position right now, and and it's they just it sucks that they don't prioritize. I met I put on Twitter. I was like I missed you know. It stinks that the Eagles something to this. It's, it wasn't verbatim, but it stinks the Eagles don't prioritize the linebacker position. I miss the days of Jeremiah Trotter because Trotter would wreck havoc on the field all the time, blowing up holes, hitting hitting the running backs in the backfield. Like he was the the, the prototypical linebacker, and that's what we haven't had in four, what seems like forever. 
Yeah, and Akeem Davis Gaither, I love the tape that I saw out of out of college. He was the one that I want. I know realistically, and I've seen some mock drafts always starting to come out of us taking linebackers in the first round. Get over it. Move on. How many years are you going to mock draft linebackers in the first round of Philadelphia before you just admit this is a done deal? It's never going to happen. <laughs> um, but Akeem Davis Gaither was someone who I really think that we could have went after in like the fourth round. At this point, we cut fourth round players that we draft like flies so why Mm -hmm. not take the shot at the linebacker and not wait till round five six and seven like you do every single year and get guys that you don't even trust to put on the field like we have right now Akeem Davis Gaither is someone who would have been on the field and who would be playing over a guy who would definitely be playing over a guy like what Duke Riley definitely guaranteed he'd be playing over Duke Riley right now but instead we're left sitting there watching uh Subpar linebacker and core go at it again when I think we could have had Davis Gaither, even if we had to go in the third round to get him. I think he would have been worth the investment at the position because he's a decent cover linebacker. And like you said, he's he's truly, he's not really so much a developmental talent and he's truly all over the field. Whereas yeah. Davion Taylor's all over the field, but he's a developmental talent. Yeah, I agree with you there. Before we get to our, to, um, before we move on, one thing we didn't bring up is Jalen Hurts got on the field last week and it, he was a decoy. Um, but the one thing I noticed was the Rams defense was paying attention to him when, when the Eagles put him in motion, they were going to his side. So I'm, I, I know week two is a decoy. I wouldn't be shocked if the Eagles were going to use him in, in the, the offensive game plan, getting him the getting the ball in his hands some way. And if this season continues to go the way it has gone so far, it would not shock me. And I, I'm a big Carson advocate. I don't think, I mean, I, Carson is our QB of the present, QB of the future, the franchise quarterback. But if the season doesn't play out the way we want it to play out and they make a playoff run, it would not shock me to see Jalen Hurts on the field. Again, Jalen Hurts is the quarterback that I would love to see in a preseason. We didn't have preseason this year. Preseason would have been perfect for him. But since we haven't had it, he was deactivated week one, activated week two. He'll be activated, I think, from here on out because he can make a difference on this offense. You got to find a way to get him the ball. Defenses will, you know, when he's on the field, defenses find where he's at on the field. Yeah, I mean, I think I hate, 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 hate the comparison to Taysom Hill. I think it's I, completely I unreasonable, unreasonable. But when you look at it, it's it's true to the extent of they pay attention. When you see Taysom Hill on the field in New Orleans, you know it's not a decoy. If it's Drew Brees standing off to the side, you know he's not going to do anything. But when you put Taysom Hill out and you put him in motion and stuff, just like it would be with Jalen Hurts, you take account for that player. You know you have to pay attention to that player because you don't know what's going to happen. You haven't seen enough from him. And then Taysom Hill's the point now where he's actually gained respect because he can do things as a running back. He can do things as a quarterback. He can do things as a wide receiver. So he can do and he can do him as a tight end too. He can do a little bit of everything. So if Jalen Hurts emerges as someone who can produce out of the backfield or who can produce as a wide receiver, you have to account for his number every single time he steps on the field, even if it's not at the quarterback position. 100% agree. Now we're going to move to our new segment. It's our unheralded player of the week from the NFL. doesn't have to be from the Eagles-Rams game. It can be from any game, any player on any roster in the National Football League. Who is your unheralded player of the week? Um, it lit- it literally uh I'm going James Robinson. It happened on Thursday, but it also That's has happened. That's week three though. It, but it happened in week two and it happened in week one. We've seen like this is a guy that I'm definitely I was not expecting to do what he did. 
not in week one, not in week two, not in week three, stepping in the shoes of Leonard Fournette. And he is probably better than Leonard Fournette for the sole fact that Leonard Fournette needs a big play every game to save himself. This guy's making big plays happen all the time. And in a general sense, I'm actually really surprised by the by the Jaguar minus Thursday night wasn't pretty. But the Jaguars offense and the fact the whole tank for Trevor thing, they're not really tanking for Trevor. Gardner Minshew's starting to kind of look like if, you might be stuck with him. Yeah, and if Gardner Minshew could prove to be a franchise quarterback, they have all these draft picks that they could fill with players around him. You can get a legit – I mean, if, if Robinson's not your – number one running back. You can get a legit running back. You can get a legit receiver, legit offensive lineman, build that defense up. Um, I think building to the trenches would be huge. Yeah, they have C.J. Henderson. Um, I think they, they drafted C.J. Yep. Henderson, right? He's the one corner, you know. He could replace Jalen Ramsey. You build along the offensive defensive lines. Now, I don't think Doug Maroon is the guy. Like, I don't think he's the coach for the future for them, but they could build that team up. Jacksonville has a chance to, to be good. Only thing is, they're Jacksonville, and they always find a way to screw it up. Yeah, I mean, this was a team who, what was it, three, four years ago was in the AFC Championship yep. game. And today we're looking at a defense that got completely blown up. They had like five or six pro bowlers mm-hmm. even, and they're, they're all, all on new teams. Yep. But like if J- if it proves that James Robinson, if this continues, obviously he's their guy. If Gardner Minshew continues... Obviously, he's their guy. So then with those two first-round picks, you can go out and get those impact offensive linemen. Mm-hmm. Defense, like a, if they're high enough up that Penn A. Sewell would be humongous for them. You could look at the defensive line. You could look That's at the Oregon, the Oregon guy, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who, who they call this like one of the best offensive linemen in the last few years. Or you could look at defensive end. You could look at defensive tackle. You still have Miles Jack back there as a linebacker. You have C.J. Henderson. So like you could start building in the trenches yeah, with Josh two Allen big first too, round yeah. picks. Exactly. And so your your linebackers are okay. Your cornerbacks should be okay. But your offensive line and your defensive line need a lot of work. So if things continue to roll the way they do, and they end up with four, five, six wins, because you never know in that division, it's it's a tough division to call year over year. Mm-hmm. This could look like a very interesting team, because I thought Gardner Minshew was just a decoy, and it was going to be tank for Trevor, and Trevor Lawrence would be a jag next year. But it's starting to look a little more like Gardner Minshew, the Minshew mania may be true and real. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I unheralded it, and I, I don't like to give kickers praise, but Harrison Bucker kicked three technically three game-winning field goals. Usually, if you kick one, you miss, you, and then you have to kick another one, you miss. But he, he kicked the 54-yarder, uh, I think. Um, maybe it was 53. I, I, think it was, I, think, I think it was 53 because it turned into 58. Yeah, so he kicked the 53-yarder, but then there was a, a penalty on, on the Chiefs. Then he kicked the 58, but then the um, Chargers called a timeout. Then he had to kick it for a third time and nailed it. He made all three. I'm, I have Harrison Bucker on one of my fantasy teams because he's one of my favorite, you know, kickers, uh, the one that I trust. But kickers don't get a, enough. Don't kickers don't get a lot of praise. Obviously, Jake Elliott when he kicked that 61 yarder against the Giants got a ton of praise because um, it was a momentum builder for the Eagles. Um, but you're talking about a game in which Patrick Mahomes didn't play his best. Um, the Chiefs were down pretty much the entire game, but Andy Reid kept his team together. And then Bucker nonchalantly, calmly kicked the game-winning field goal, and the the Chiefs were able to defeat a very game Chargers team in which Justin Herbert made a start that he didn't know he was going to make 
until about 30 minutes before kickoff because the Chargers team doctor punctured Tyrod Taylor's lungs, giving him a shot. I can't believe I'm saying that sentence, but that happened. I think the re- the reaction to it is I I, w- I listen to uh, Mad Dog Radio a lot, and they have Pat McAfee on there now, formerly of um, the Colts. Yeah, the former punter of the Colts, and uh, he uh, basically said like, "There's a one percent chance this all they get people get this shot all the time apparently because it helps with cracked ribs, it helps with bruised yeah, he ribs, it helps with yep. broken ribs, whatever. It helps you for four hours to literally feel nothing in your ribs, and basically they say there's a one percent risk every time. So Jesus. that's how rare it is." That you go for this and you hit their lung and it punctures their lung. And now basically what he said is a punctured lung heals on its own. It has some puncture itself and then he'll be he'll be good to go or whatever. But the story when it first came out, the reaction to it was crazy. Definitely crazy. But honestly, I don't think he's getting his job back. That would have been another either. unheralded player for me was Justin Herbert. He went yeah. toe-to-toe, shot for shot with Patrick Mahomes. And it was Great. pretty impressive. I agree. He was he was on my list too. It was between Bucker and, and Herbert. If if Herbert would have won, or if the if the Chargers would have won, I definitely would have would have went with uh, Herbert. All right. Week three, the Philadelphia Eagles hosting the Cincinnati Bengals. Both teams 0 and 2. A win improves the Eagles to 1 and 2, with the opportunity to be tied in first place in the NFC East with Dallas uh, facing, <clears throat> excuse me, Dallas facing Seattle in Seattle, and what what's going to be a hard game and the Washington football team are facing the I should know this Cleveland Browns (laughs) and the Giants are facing San Fran but hey speaking of San Francisco man if San Francisco stays the way they are next week 100% picking them (laughs) Jimmy 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 G is going to be back next week but Nick Mullins is is starting Bosa's out Solomon Thomas is out George Kittle is out Raheem Mostert's out like, if there's a chance for the Giants to win a game, especially since this game is in Jersey, it, they have a chance this week. But we're going to go we, – we, we'll discuss, you know – Cross that bridge when we yeah, get there. We will cross that bridge, bridge when we get there. All right, Philadelphia Eagles, Cincinnati Bengals. Give me uh, some some keys to the game, play, matchups to watch, um, which we kind of already touched on. So keys to the game and a prediction. Key to the game. I mean, I think we talk about it. I think we've talked about every single week since week one of last season when we first started really talking Eagles on this show. Um, and that is the fast start and a maintained start. I've go, uh, you know what? Screw it. A full 60-minute game, please, for the love <laughs> of Pete. Full 60-minute game. That's the key to this game because the Bengals are not going to roll over. They gave the Chargers a run. They gave the Cleveland Browns a run. And the Philadelphia Eagles are pretty much on that same echelon of teams with the Chargers and the Browns right now this year. So just a full 60-minute game. That's it. That's it. That's all. That's the key to this game. A full with all three phases working at the end of the second quarter last week, started the third quarter. All three phases were working. TJ mm-hmm. Edwards forced a strip sack, turned it into a touchdown. Carson Wentz was marching at the start of the third quarter, turned it over in the end zone. That is a sit. That is the thing. Those are back breaking plays. So smart decisions by Carson Wentz is another big one. And just, to see some camaraderie and respect between Peterson and Wentz this week would probably go a long way in changing the outlook of the offense and in changing an outlook of the game. Because our offense has looked flat, 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 except for about two to three drives a game. 
They get mm-hmm. this spike of energy and then they're flat, flat, flat for the rest of the game. And the defense cannot be the energy of the game constantly because obviously, you know, if a defense not is good on enough. the not good enough and if the defense is constantly going to be on the field, you know you're just going to exhaust them and you know that a guy like Joe Burrow will get points because he's got the weapons to be make things happen. So it's all about coming out with some energy, seeing some camaraderie, proving me wrong in saying that there's an identity crisis between Peterson and Wentz. They did not do a good job of proving me wrong throughout this past week, but they mm-hmm. can prove us wrong on Sunday. All right, so what's your prediction? Um, I think it's got uh, the makings of being similar to the Cleveland Browns, the Bengals <laughs> lost to the Cleveland Browns. I'm going to roll with... Um, I'm going to go with a 30, 31 to 24 for Philadelphia. I really think. You actually we, think we can score 31 points? I do because it's the Cincinnati Bengals defense. We haven't, the, the defenses we play, like the Rams defense is not bad. I, the Washington football de- team's defense is underrated. Like the Bengals, there's no, they're not underrated. They're not overrated. They're about right rated. They suck on defense. So <laughs> I think that we can put up 31. So you're telling me I shouldn't start the Eagles defense this week? I don't know if I have the Eagles defense, actually. I'd start them. I don't think they're going to give you a negative. I don't think it hurts. So, like, would you start, before I get to my, would you start Seattle's defense against Dallas or the Eagles defense against Cincinnati? Don't start Seattle's defense. Seattle's got the worst pass defense in the league. They've given up the most yards to wide receivers by, like, 300 yards. They've given up, like, 700 and some yards in two games to receivers. Like, All right, well. No. I started the Eagles defense, and they're going to give up like 80 points tomorrow, just so you know. Um, <laughs> my, Mikey, I'm, I'm with you. Like, a full 60-minute game would be nice. Um, you know, being consistent offensively and, and, and not putting your quarterback in danger would be nice. Um, getting the ball out quickly. Carson Wentz getting the ball out quickly and accurate would be nice. That's all I want to see. Um, I'm 1-1 one one in our picks because I did pick the Rams last week. You're 0-2. This week, when it comes to the Eagles and the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm going 27-17 Eagles. I don't know why it hurts so much to say that. It shouldn't, but it, it does. It shouldn't, just but the way that this season has gone. Anything. I don't know. I'm just – I'm not confident right now. But hopefully this this could be the start of the, – build the momentum for the, for the Eagles. Um, they need it. Because and when we we talk again next week, we're going up, we're going to San Francisco, gonna make that cross country uh, flight. But it is a Sunday night game, so hopefully at a wounded San Francisco team. But it, they are the reigning NFC champs, so the Eagles are gonna have to 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 find ways to get things going. Because uh, if they don't, they're, they're they're gonna have a really really bad season. Like, this has the makings of a five and eleven season. Fortunately for them, which I mentioned earlier. They're in the NFC East, so five and eleven. Anything might win can the happen. <laughs> five and eleven That's might true. win the division. That's true. <laughs> All right, final thoughts, Connor, before we wrap up. Fly Eagles, fly, baby. We need a win like you wouldn't believe. It. I think this is one of the most desperate seasons in the last since the Super Bowl. This is probably our most desperate oh, season yeah. because it's uh, there's a humongous 
there's going to be a huge change at the end of the season, whether we like it or not. There's going to be massive widespread change. You don't make 50 million. You don't make up 50 million dollars just by letting one guy go. There's going to be widespread change. So it's a big year. We win it or we don't. And the retooling as I'm not going to call it a rebuild because we've got good tools. But the retooling is going to really, really show itself this offseason and what can Howie do. This is going to be a big offseason for Howie, Doug Peterson, for Carson Wentz, for everybody. I can't believe it's week three and we're already talking about the offseason. That's how bad things are. No, but I agree with you, yeah. Um, this could be the last run with this group together. So they, they need to get, turn it around quickly and make a run at the division. And who knows, once you get into the playoffs, anything can happen. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at the Kelly Green Hour. We put out polls. We put out Eagles information. Um, and Connor's really good at handling game day, the game, uh, Twitter on game day, uh, you know, given all the kind of almost play for play, drive for drive, quarter for quarter analysis uh, from the Kelly Green account at Kelly Green Hour. You can follow Connor on Twitter at Connor 10. That's Connor T-E-N. Uh, I always get my fantasy football advice from him. I'll even do it on the show. Um, give us something to talk about. And you can follow me on Twitter at LJ Harrell 54 usually complaining about the Eagles on game day. For Connor, I'm LJ. Thank you for listening to the Kelly Green Hour.